Benefar becomes Instagram official, Lil Nas X goes to jail, and some tips on battling climate anxiety. We are Jasmine and Maggie, and you're listening to Culture Club. This is our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work, and record this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. I woke up this morning to one of the best posts I've seen in 2021, and that was Jennifer Lopez posting these amazing selfies of her on this luxury yacht, and you swipe across, and the last image is her and Ben Affleck kissing. And we really need to talk about this. We haven't spoken about them as a couple in the weeks leading up to this Instagram reveal, Instagram official moment. So we need to talk about it now. Yes, we do need to talk about this. And you downplayed it. You were like, she posted some selfies. She posted like this legit magazine photo shoot. Like she went all out. I think she tagged like her makeup artist as well as a photographer. Like it was a whole whole production, which I so admire. She looks incredible. It was for her 52nd birthday. But yes, the photo of her and Ben. Yes. So if you don't know, Ben and Jen dated nearly 20 years ago and now they're back together. Isn't that the sweetest? Is that not fanfic? Oh my God. It reminds me of a line from a TV show I just watched and it was like, oh my God, this is like fan fiction, but in real life. So fan (laughs) nonfiction. It really is like some sort of fairy tale. But also, did you know that he was married and has kids to Jennifer Garner from 13 going on 30? No. Yeah. How did I? I really am so out of the loop. I I did not know that. Yeah, he has a very convoluted dating history. But they first got together in 2002 and they started in a movie together and they got engaged in November of 2002 And then in 2003, the day before the wedding, they released a joint statement via spokesperson saying, due to the excessive media attention surrounding our wedding, we have decided to postpone the date. When we found ourselves seriously contemplating hiring three separate decoy brides at three different locations, we realized that something was awry. We began to feel that the spirit of what should have been the happiest day of our lives could be compromised. We felt what should have been a joyful and sacred day could be spoiled for us, our families, and our friends. In January of 2004, the Chicago Tribune put out a newspaper saying dumped, and Jennifer Lopez confirmed the reports that she ended her engagement to Ben Affleck. So they ended in 2004. In October 2004, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner are seen making their first public appearance. Then they both go their separate ways. Um, Jen has kids. Jen? Jen? I meant J-Lo. It's so weird calling her Jen. I love it. Yeah, before you called her, you called them Jen and Ben. And I was like, wow, like that sounds like a third grade teacher and her like partner or whatever. (laughs) Jen and Ben, who are you, Jess? (laughs) But then Jennifer Garner as well. I should definitely specify the difference. Um, J-Lo. 
um, has kids with another man, another celebrity. They go their separate ways. And this year they were seen together in Miami and now they've officially made their public appearance, like a f- Instagram official. What do you think of this? Do you think it's a sweet celebrity story? Yeah, we need some light, don't we? Like this was just a lovely, fun story. And um, have you heard the term Instagram soft launching? When you put like a elbow and their hand on like an Instagram story? Yeah, to softly introduce your partner or whoever you're seeing to Instagram. I love it. Um, but I love that this is just the opposite of that. Like they've totally owned it. JLo has not gone that route and instead has posted like, you know, this HD photographer, <laughs> like making out shot of her and Ben. I adore it. It's like peak Leo season. We're like a couple days into Leo season and she's already peaked. This, mm-hmm. this is it. Very much so. So good luck to these lovebirds. 22-year-old queer icon, not me, <laughs> the other <laughs> one, <laughs> sorry, Lil Nas X has dropped a new song and music video, sending the internet into another whirlwind. Like Montero, Industry Baby, which is the title of his new single, came with its own letter that little Nas penned to his 20-year-old self. It says, Dear 20-year-old Montero, I wrote a song for us. I know sometimes you feel like it's all downhill from here. I know your sexuality has made you feel like an outcast amongst your peers. I know going from having the biggest song in the world to being trapped in your apartment is weighing heavy on you. And I know if you hear the phrase, one hit wonder one more time, you might combust. But I need you to keep going. He continues, I need you to realize that you have the opportunity to be the person that you needed growing up. I need you to stop feeling sorry for yourself. And I need you to remember that the only person who has to believe in you is you. So sweet. I know. And as well as the statement he released, his social media promotion for this new single has been very intense. Um, He has been flogging the fictional Nike lawsuit that came out around his supposed selling of limited edition Satan shoes that supposedly had a literal human drop of blood in them. Mm -hmm. So I love this because I was totally sucked in. Like I sent you a couple TikToks of his um, where he's being like preparing for my lawsuit with Nike, (laughs) like crying to the camera. Um, But actually the lawsuit was settled um, several months ago. So Nas is just using this fictional situation as very smart and entertaining promo. So yeah, apart from those just funny TikToks, he's also made a two minute music promo video about it in the lead up to Industry Baby being dropped. Do you think that all of this promotion is him or do you think he has a very, very clever marketing team? Because it seems very organic but you then you think there has to be whole teams of people behind like one musician. Bit of both. I would usually be skeptical and be like, oh yeah, it's totally a whole team. But he is quite self-built and he's um, released stories of how he came to be. And a lot of that, at least what he says, um, is very self-made. And I do think he's really um, paved his image for himself. But, you know, of course, I think now he would have managers by his side helping him. But I think he's, I think he's really smart. Mm. What about you? Yeah, I agree with you. I feel the same way. 
Do you like the song? I, I only do. heard it today. Me too. I'm a little bit late to it. I know like everyone's been playing it um, and, you know, there's been a lot of commentary about naked black guys twerking um, and the song's just very catchy. I really like it. So catchy. I've heard it twice and I am playing it in my head right now. Not the rap because I'm not that good at lyrics. <laughs> Definitely the trumpets. The song Industry Baby is also a YouTube fundraiser benefiting nonprofit organization, The Bail Project. So The Bail Project is a, quote, critical tool to prevent incarceration and combat racial and economic disparities in the bail system. So in the fundraiser description, Lil Nas X wrote, Music is the way I fight for liberation, but true freedom requires change in how the criminal justice system works, starting with cash bail. I know the pain that incarceration brings to a family, and I know the disproportionate impact that cash bail has on black Americans. There are so many stories that call on us to take action, and I invite you to join me in this important civil rights issue. I think Lil Nas is paving the way for pop stars and like Gen Z um, musicians in that they're so vocal and it's not just people speaking through their music anymore, like between his marketing and his social media presence and this fundraiser, he's really fighting to change the world as well as putting out bangers. So mm-hmm. we love that. But in comparison, can we compare him to celebrities who use TikTok <laughs> in an interesting way? I want to talk about Shawn Mendes. So I have to share this cursed video of him. I'm going to play it now. Okay, I want to hear your bow. All right. Okay, hit me with your best baby yes. Baby, yeah. What would you do if I got down on my knees? What if I flipped a hole? And you can't see it, right? Because obviously podcasts are an audio medium. But in the silence, he's like staring at the camera at a really uncomfortable angle. It's just really uncomfortable. I thought it was so funny. I feel like he has, he knows that people take the piss out of him, I think, and make fun of him. And so he's just like leaning into it instead of trying to be cool. Like he reminds me of a nerd. Um, but I loved Troy Savant's duet of it. So funny. Other celebrities like Nick Jonas and his girlfriend, Camila Cabello, have also duetted it. Um, we'll put some on our story so you can see what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. What do you think of it? Well, you're talking about how you think he's in on the joke and he's like doing it because people are laughing along. But the thing is, I don't know if that's true. Like I was like, do you remember how he had all those really cringy tweets back in the day? Let me read out some to jog your memory. So they were really earnest things like, always remember, things will get better, I promise. And do what makes you happy. Don't care about what others think. And Forget about it and it will be better. I swear there were more about like, (laughs) baby girl, like I'll care for you. I'll hold your hand. Am I thinking about another celebrity or is that him? I think also because he came onto the scene quite young. He was like a teenager when he first got famous, right? Mm, And I feel like he was appealing to like a younger demographic. And now the fans have grown up. So he's having fun with that like cringy image, like the squeaky clean pop star guy. Um because even compared to like Justin Bieber, Sean Mendes is like, he reminds me of like 
Christian rock, even though I don't know, even know if he's religious. Do you know what I mean? Oh my god, yeah, because he's like wholesome. He's a wholesome guy, don't you think? I don't think he's malicious. I think he's just a bit. Oh, I don't know how to even describe it. How would you? Wholesome is a good way to put it. Okay, so you're like his fans are probably in on the joke, and a lot of the comments are like babe, you know, you can delete a clip or like, what is this? I can't stop laughing, etc. Except I want to bring up something that is one of his TikToks with much lower likes. Like, okay, it's got a million likes, but in comparison to the other one that he posts straight <laughs> after, which is just him singing, that's got 2.6 million likes. And I think we are both analyzing this too much with our journalist brains. I think he's just made a silly video and other celebrities have duetted it, therefore getting more views and like feeling like the fans are in on a joke. And it's funny. It's good. Maybe we should try to do it. <laughs> Let's duet it. So this week has been a lot from floods in China, Germany, Belgium and India to North America and Canada acting like Australia in the middle of a heat wave. I think it's fair to say that climate anxiety is through the roof. Yeah, and don't forget the government's marketing drive to make sure that the Great Barrier Reef here was not placed on a list of World Heritage Sites in danger. (laughs) So bad. This definitely isn't helped by billionaires cosplaying as supervillains rocketing to space while burning thousands of tonnes of CO2. Did you also see that Jeff was only (laughs) in space for three minutes and he was only up in the air for 11 minutes i thought he was in space for the whole 10 minutes well apparently he was like up in he was weightless in space for like three minutes actually oh my god i know now we usually try to keep this podcast pretty light but only talking about celebrity feuds or media stories just doesn't feel right when turning on the news feels like watching the movie 2012 The balm of anxiety is action. So we've rounded up some resources to help hopefully take the edge off the ever-growing climate anxiety that many of us do experience. So Jazz, first up, what helps you during this? It is very terrifying scrolling. I've been doing a lot of doom scrolling Mm -hmm. lately, even though you know it's so, you know you should get off your phone, but it's so hard to not be on your phone. I've deleted some apps. Well, I said that last week. I've deleted some apps. Um, but then, yeah, taking a walk or remembering that I do little things every day to keep my emissions down. And even though it feels like that's not going to help when you've got billionaires going to space, um, you know that within your control, you're doing everything you can to the best of your ability without putting pressure on yourself. Mm. Cause like sometimes it's very hard to be perfect. Um, and I'm never perfect with environmental stuff. Yeah, just trying your best every day to reduce your personal um, footprint helps me. What about you? It's a tough one. I think I definitely go through waves of this. So sometimes I feel really like passionate and ignited to make change and I'll be really, um, I guess, proactive in what I do. And a lot of the other times I just feel so hopeless, like, it's so frustrating. We know that it's corporations that need to be held to account and they're the ones doing the most damage. But we as individuals can also make change, I believe. And I don't think those two things like blaming companies, but also 
doing things yourself, I don't think that that's mutually exclusive. You can hold mm. both beliefs. Um, but what do I do to kind of lessen this climate anxiety? Like I'm kind of lost because I actually don't really know what I do. I think I definitely step away a lot. So um, step away from my phone, step away from the news as much as I can. And honestly, like even though I'm on social media a lot, I think the pages I follow don't serve me too much news. For instance, my TikTok has like almost nothing current affairs it doesn't even have a lot of my interest. So for instance, like fashion doesn't even appear on my TikTok, which I find so weird. I know maybe that's my true self, (laughs) Um, but I don't know. I think um, what probably gets me down is having news notifications on. So I do have like the Apple news and Guardian news pop up quite a bit. And I've noticed that like just out of the blue, I'll just get something quite devastating and gloomy and it'll really like take me for a spin which sucks so I think I haven't done this yet but maybe I'll turn that off I turned mine off did I tell you this story on the podcast already nah, tell us I think I might have very early on a year ago I turned mine off the news notifications off my boyfriend just left Australia and um I got that news notification that a plane had crashed oh, yeah. over some ocean or something and it was like the path he was going and like honestly just got like flooded with like fight or flight and then I figured out it wasn't his. Um, but since that moment, I haven't had them on. And it helps so much because, like, you control when you see the news and you're kind of, like, mentally prepared, which I'm finding a little bit of a struggle with Instagram at the moment. Like, I mean, maybe I just shouldn't look at Instagram, like, when I wake up. <laughs> um, a lot of, like, the news sites I follow are, like, the first things on my algorithm. So I get that news, like, how many cases there's been today first thing um which might not be helpful but I think it's like a journey of like what you can handle on a given day yeah I think there's a balance there especially with something like Instagram because we want to keep informed you want to be following people who educate you and keep you inspired or whatever that might be um actually we've got some favorites here maybe we can recommend to you yes so some of my personal favorites are Venetia Lamana so she is great for fast fashion vegan tips she's been vegan for a few years and also she really inspires me to go offline when I can she does like whole weekends offline and I find that very inspiring that she still has this platform and is has thousands of followers but she doesn't let Instagram be her like whole life yeah, to add on to that, some of our friends and listeners of the pod, so Bianca Hill and Hannah English, they both take proactive days off um, online. I think they try to take like Sundays off. And as a follower of their content, I'm never like, oh my God, like they don't post enough or whatever, you know, it doesn't make any difference. Even Flex Mommy, she tries to not go on Instagram before 12 p.m., which I think is amazing every day. Yeah, very inspired by people like that. Mm, definitely. Gosh, couldn't be me. <laughs> I know, same. I wish it was me, but I couldn't. Um, some other people that have been inspiring lately are Alice Eady. So um, do you, did you ever watch Jack's Gap on YouTube? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yes, with Jack and Finn Harry's. I was obsessed. Probably why I'm dating an Englishman now. Of course. Um, but, yes, it is Jack's, I think one of the twins, girlfriend, but she's amazing in her own right, not just because she's dating them. Um, she is an activist and filmmaker and photographer, and she works a lot with the refugee crisis. So 
you know, documenting it, telling stories. And she is an amazing environmentalist. And she posted a photo this week um, saying that she also felt a lot of hopelessness around climate anxiety. So that was nice to hear from people who are doing this every day that Mm. at the moment things feel very bleak, but she gave some constructive tips um, to help. Some other people are Leah Thomas, who we've referenced on the pod before. Mm. She's at Green Girl Leah and is also the founder of Intersectional Environmentalist, so a platform with intersectional chats about the climate. And Aja Baba, she's also a great fast fashion resource and she talks about a lot of different issues, so she is great as well. Mm. Before I get into some of my recommendations as well, um, I found this study a while ago from 2015. Um, It is quite a small sample size. So the study interviewed 22 activists and they found that roughly half of them who experienced burnout actually left their movement for good like completely so I do think yeah right this sorry Jasmine gave me wide eyes just then (laughs) um yeah so it is a really dangerous thing and it's something that affects a lot of people and I think burnout in this case can be super dangerous because a lot of the time it just um disenchants people and disenfranchises them in the movement so they leave for good and that's really quite scary so I think taking care of ourselves is really important in this Um, but a couple other people I would like to recommend as well Uh, from Sydney we've got a climate activist called Varsha Yaman Uh, she's similar ages to us and she does a lot of great work she also just started a podcast which is cool over in New Zealand, um, someone I like following is Ethically Kate. So she's like a sustainable activist and educator spanning like fashion, food, whatever you want, basically. And then over in the UK, we have Michaela Loach. Um, I love following her content um, and she focuses a lot on climate activism. She's also a medical student, which I think is a really interesting um, intersection. And uh, she's black and she talks about all the intersections of being black, being a medical student and being a climate activist. So her content's really um, engaging as well. And if you didn't get them or you can't find the handles, we'll make an Instagram post um, sharing their accounts soon. What are some other ways we can combat climate anxiety? Um, I found finding your skills. So like Mm -hmm. For example, we're storytellers, or you could be a photographer, or not even creative. You could be good at organizing mm. or good at numbers. Um, but using the skills that you have to do what you can and raise awareness and work in a movement um, means that you'll be utilizing the strengths and feeling like you're working towards something, even though it can feel a bit hopeless. Yeah, it's so important to remember that advocacy and activism just like doesn't look the same for everyone. Even between me and you, Jazz, you know, we all have different skills. We all have different mental workloads that we can take on as well. So I think it's like not about shaming people for what they're doing or the lack of what you think they're doing as well. But yeah, I like that tip. And like I said before as well, like taking a break and getting into nature can really help because so much is out of our control. But you're allowed to take a break from doom scrolling, I think. And it's also hard when we have so much happening on our, in our own backyard to take on the emotions of other countries at the moment as well. Like obviously we should be worried and we should care, but 
I've found myself, don't know about everyone else, but I've found that I have to almost, it sounds really bad, but like distance myself a little bit from other countries at the moment, which I hate, but it's like, there's like seven countries at the moment that are flooding. How do you empathetically, you know, be worried about them? Um, That sounds really bad. No, but I'm very glad that you brought that up. Like, mm. how can you expect to hold the burden of what the entire world is going through? Mm. I don't think anyone expects that from you. And um, even though you say that you're distancing yourself, I think the key word there is dis- distancing. You're not like, oh, I don't care. I'm not apathetic. You're just like, no, I need some space mm. so I don't start crying every five minutes, you know? Mm. True. Yeah. So I think like by taking a little bit of a break and taking a walk or when it's a bit warmer, going for a dip in the ocean may help you feel more calm and connected to the earth. Also, I have been feeling particularly doomsday about the billionaires leaving us in space. And I read a really great article by Sim Kern for New Site Salon that basically says that thousands and thousands of people are needed on earth to be able to look after the people in space so unless they find a way to like make something habitable on the planet and keep some people down here um it's not anytime soon that the billionaires are just gonna like you know fuck off basically (laughs) even though we wish they would um so i'll just read a little bit of the article because it's very fascinating It's basically saying that the most comfortable living situation ever devised above Earth's orbit is the International Space Station, and it has the combined space agencies of a number of countries. They've been working on it for 23 years. Um, But this article is saying around half a dozen astronauts live up there at any given time, bouncing around a narrow tube with roommates they didn't choose and who can't properly bathe for months on end. The Wi-Fi is slow. The food is not Michelin starred, to say the least. Their sleeping situation is akin to a floating coffin, and pooping involves a complicated procedure in a porta potty where the door is a plastic curtain and everything floats. Oh my god, no. Gross. No way. Gross. Continue. They are saying that astronauts' time is micromanaged by a team of experts on the ground. Um, they spend a ton of time studying systems and conducting repairs on equipment that breaks often because, quote, space wants to kill you. So when you understand the science, it becomes clear that the billionaire space race is just that. Nothing more than a pissing contest between egotistical robber barons. Branson and Bezos aren't investing their money to forward science or expand the bounds of human possibility. They're doing it to be the first rich guy to bounce around uselessly up there, as opposed to NASA astronauts who, again, do science. And after they bounce around uselessly, they're hoping to swindle more of their obscenely rich friends into doing the same. They continue, So rest assured, Bezos and Branson will not be sipping champagne next to the space pool on low Earth Mar-a-Lago. Even if Axiom gets their space hotel built, it's going to be cramped and dangerous. And when the toilet breaks, someone's going to have to clean up the floating shit. For all their wealth, billionaires do not have the power to make space a more comfortable place to be than Earth. So we hope that article and some vague tips gives you a little bit of comfort going into this new week. That is such a cool article. Honestly, 
knew nothing about this and that puts it into perspective and are we a STEM podcast now? (laughs) We are women in STEM. Yeah, like converts Microsoft Word document to PDF STEM. (laughs) We just want to put a content warning here because this topic is truly some anxiety-inducing stuff. If you have been on the internet in the past 24 hours, you will know that over the weekend, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane saw thousands of anti-mask and anti-lockdown protesters take to the streets as COVID cases and deaths soar. Yeah, so the so-called freedom protesters broke lockdown rules and just to give some perspective, in uh, New South Wales, 510 personal infringement notices were issued, but let's hope more people are charged. There has been some heartbreaking but also great commentary, um, especially on Twitter, and one Aussie writer and comedian, Vidya Rajan, summed it up for us. The heartbreaking thing about these freedom dickheads is that they don't show up in critique of any actual instances of state coercion against marginalised people, detention, incarceration, etc. It's purely when there's a chance to cosplay a lone hero narrative for themselves. So powerful and so true. Um, And in reply to their tweet, someone just attached a photo of the Capitol riots as well. And it's just like, oh, yeah, we see similarities. Like, you know, it's very similar. Yes, this year I definitely got that energy from it. Um, People thinking that they're rallying against the government and bringing some sort of revolution when really they're just putting people in harm's way. And you know those people would be the first to not stand up for refugees or Black Lives Matter. So, Oh, yeah. On the news um, I was watching and this person was interviewed and they were like, oh, yeah, this is my first ever protest. And I'm like, "Mm, not surprised, not surprised. So speaking of this like lone hero narrative that was mentioned, um, if you're in Australia, you may remember because the news cycle is going so fast, (laughs) but you may remember the TikTok numbers guy who popped up a few weeks ago. His name is John Bernard Kairos also known as the TikTok guy, and he gained attention online recently when he predicted New South Wales COVID numbers the night before they were actually announced by the Premier at the 11am press conference. Yeah, so he got them right a few days in a row and it attracted a lot of media attention. Publications like Pedestrian TV were covering the antics and he even nabbed an interview on Sky News and Channel 10's The Project. It was also suggested that he had a contact in the Department of Health, but he got the numbers wrong and then the attention just faded slightly. Yeah, he just kind of stopped posting the numbers. And he's said to be like a TikTok comedian. And it was actually so interesting seeing how quickly people and the media like caught on to this guy. Many media publications and Twitter personalities jumped on this guy in a positive way in that they gave him more of a platform because I think at the start he was bringing some playfulness to a very serious situation, which is, of course, the Sydney cases rising. I think people did find it to be some sort of game and a little bit of like a us versus them in the government Mm. thing. Um, So I was surprised at how quickly people caught on, but his attention has faded even more when this weekend he was spotted at the anti-lockdown protests declaring himself the people's premier which he actually said on sky news as well he revved up the crowd of maskless people and said 
for small businesses and people who are doing it tough, all we want is freedom. He also said he crunched the numbers, his famous tagline, and estimated there to be 50,000 people in the crowd, which is off. Um, Some publications are saying 3,500 people were there, while another publication today was saying there were 15,000. So either way, thousands of people. Yeah, so after all this has come out and videos of him at the protest have um, been published, uh, he's gone surprisingly quiet online and supposedly deleted videos of himself at the protest from his Instagram page, and he also lost a few thousand followers. Yeah, it's steadily declining. Now, we don't want to give these people too much of our time and energy. We were debating not even talking about this today because it's just like, I think they want the attention. Mm. But we just think that this whole situation, especially in terms of this guy, say something about the way that we platform people, especially in Australia. I think Australians love like a good Aussie battler story, like this young guy, like early 20s, kind of sticking it to the premier who has stuffed up um, and not going hard in lockdowns and someone who says it like it is quote unquote and doesn't take themselves too seriously what do you think of it yeah especially through a platform like tiktok and i think we're obviously going to all um be guilty of this i don't even think it's a thing to be guilty of but when you're fed let's say like 50 videos in 10 minutes you're not gonna watch every video and be like i need to do my research and fact check this person Mm. and see what their morals and political stances are and i think platforms like tiktok kind of push that to the side like you I, i i didn't even think to look at his background when I saw him guessing the numbers, you know, because it's like a lighthearted, funny thing. Mm. But um, this proves that you really just don't know what someone's like. Like that guy knew he was gaining popularity from doing that, so chose to kind of put on this very like playful, larrikin type personality, whereas, you know, he's gone to this protest and it's shown that he's actually anti-lockdown, anti-mask, and I didn't, I didn't know that. Especially when you think that um, at some point people also thought he was working with the government or like not working with, sorry, but like he knew someone in the government. So like, or he worked in the government. I remember reading some tweets about that as well. So it's quite shocking, but he has actually tried to like scrub evidence of him being there, which I think is so ironic for someone who's on TikTok. Mm. We don't talk enough these days about like digital footprints, I think. I have seen some crazy tiktoks lately of young teenagers talking about their sex lives talking about how they want to kill themselves um so many things that get like twenty thousand likes and i don't know if i'm getting older but i just think like oh my gosh digital footprint people like even if you delete the account you know when people stitch Mm. videos on tiktok and you click through and it says video not Mm. available but they've still recorded that you know, screen recording and they're using it. We were always taught as like, you know, a younger millennial, be careful what you put on the internet because it never fully goes away. Yeah. Okay. Two things to that. One with TikTok, Mm. I was listening to a podcast um, and they just briefly were talking about TikTok and apparently you can like download your information um, that TikTok has about you and they have every single video they have they literally have on file every single video that you've ever watched slash every single thing that you've searched up etc like and just 
I can't even imagine how many videos that is. <laughs> but second to that, your face like, anyway. But to your other point about being careful about, you know, what you post online as a teenager, like um, on Tumblr, I was definitely not posting things that were probably appropriate. And I definitely would love to erase my internet history. But I don't know, I think we've always kind of been like this when you've had the internet. Like I was on Twitter quite um, prolifically when I was quite young. And even though I deleted my account, I'm sure that the tweets still exist somewhere. And um, yeah, on Tumblr, even if it's not something problematic, I was very emotional and used it as like a public diary. Did you not ever have anything like that or were you careful? Oh, totally. I was like Tumblr user, but if I ever wrote, I used it as like my diary, but if I ever like wrote stuff on my Tumblr, like some poetic story about my first boyfriend or something, it would get too light. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so different to TikTok in terms of like, the number of people who can watch content from people they don't know. I think that's the difference. And like there's like 15, 16 year olds talking about how they like getting choked and like what their kinks are. And I just think like to know that like 50,000 people have seen that is so wild to me. Yeah. Even on like a lighter ish note on my for you page the other day, there was just like very young kind of like couple, maybe 15, 16. And she was just like, they were like watching a movie in bed, but he, you know, he was kind of like the best friend vibe and she was recording with like him knowing. And then they just like shared a bloody like 40 second intense eye contact. And she was like, wait for it at the end. So worth it. And I was just like, they're just like, you know, looking at each other kind of lovingly, but creepingly. I'm like, why is this online? Like, Bessie, keep it in mm. Like, we don't need to see that. And that's not problematic, but it's just like, oh. Yeah. And anyway, we've kind of gone off a different <laughs> path here. But I do think it's so funny that he's built his platform on TikTok and is now trying to like distance himself from it by he hasn't posted in two days and it's mm. deleted his own videos of the protest. But also it's not a surprise at the same time. I don't know if you saw this, but a few Indigenous creators, especially on TikTok, were noticing that this guy's previous quote-unquote comedy um, featured racist and sexist tropes. I saw the disgusting, tasteless joke he made about Aboriginal people in Sydney that we won't repeat, but I'm sure you can find it on the internet if you Googled it. Um, And he was also liking comments that were incredibly racist and hurtful to First Nations people. Yeah, and having that information quite readily available makes it even more interesting that publications actually didn't fact-check him or look into his background before giving him a platform early on. Um, But now I guess his true colours have been shown. I think his 15 minutes are up now because if it isn't the consequences of our own actions... Jasmine, has there been anything you've watched, read or listened to this week that you'd like to recommend? I watched a movie that I don't usually watch this type of genre, but it was recommended to me and I really enjoyed it. So it's called I Care A Lot and it's a comedy thriller and it's I feel like it's perfectly balanced between comedy Ooh. and thriller, which I don't find often. It's so enthralling. It features Rosamund Pike um she's famous for Gone Girl and Peter Dinklage who I remember from Elf um I'm sure he's been in a lot more I think he might have been in Game of Thrones um but it's a story about a con woman who takes elderly people into her guardianship puts them in like 
retirement villages and then controls all the assets. So like sells the houses, sells the cars, takes all their belongings and pockets the money and like drugs these people in the nursing homes. It sounds oh my very, God, that's I mean, very it is very awful. <laughs> it's very sinister. Um, but what happens one day is they find what they call a cherry. So a woman who has no family, no kids, um, very wealthy, worked in law, and she has a dodgy doctor and the dodgy doctor tells the con woman, this woman lives alone. You can say that she's not fit to live by herself anymore and go and put her into your care basically. So she does that, but then things start to unravel as it's revealed. Oh, how do I not say this without giving it away? Um, it's revealed that she is connected and she does know people. She isn't just this little old lady living by herself and things begin to get very twisted. So I loved it because it was very exciting. It had a few twists and, you know, plot twists, which I thought were very, very good. And it also makes some great remarks, particularly at the end about late stage capitalism. Yeah, the ending is just incredible. So if you are kind of wanting to escape and but also watch something very enthralling, give that a watch. I don't support Amazon usually, but we watched it on Amazon Movies with our seven-day trial. So if you're going to get Amazon, get that. That sounds so fun but scary and really intense mm. and also un-Jasmine-like. But um, thanks for telling us about that. I wouldn't have picked it myself, but my grandma recommended it to me. Um, she's seen it before and I was like oh okay fine I'll watch it because I don't pick those I normally can only watch like comedies or rom-coms at the moment but yeah I really like that what are you recommending this week yes I have another feel-good easy watching tv show to recommend um I'm also in that like very much can only consume like lighthearted content at the moment. Don't ask me to do anything else. Thank you. But what I'm recommending is to realize I haven't said it is a typical, um, the TV series. It's final season, season four recently dropped on, um, Netflix and I've been really enjoying it. I haven't finished it, but it's like 10 episodes, 20 minutes each. Again, like a short fun watch. The actual series, a typical began in 2017 and just like a general overview of the entire TV show. It's a heartfelt comedy that follows Sam, who is a teenager with autism. And it also follows his nuclear family who all evolved to have strong storylines of their own. It was so awkward when I was um, writing the notes for this before. Um, I was trying to think of the phrase of nuclear family, which means like mom, dad, and two children. And I was like, atomic family. I Googled atomic family. Not right. What would an atomic family be? I don't know. Someone that blows up. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, I wanted to bring up this show because I especially love Sam's sister, Casey, who is played by Bridget Lundy Payne, who uses they, them pronouns. I think we need to dedicate a carousel to them on our Insta because I love them so much. Um, has a killer Bob as well in the show, which is very inspiring to me. Anyway, so I want to talk about their character, Casey. Um, I'll start to use she, her pronouns because I'm talking about the character. Um, this is a teeny tiny small 
spoiler so if you want skip ahead but in the final seasons it focuses a lot more on her sexual orientation um it doesn't really explicitly say but she's assumed to be bi and I really resonated with her character and I think it was a really special storyline um that they handled quite gently about like her first girlfriend and um you know, having a long-term boyfriend before that. It was it was really lovely and I really like her character. Did you ever watch Atypical, by the way? No, I didn't. I was just looking at pictures of Bridget. Mm, love. I've seen them before, but I've been recommended it before, but I just haven't got around to watching it. So yeah, it's good. It's like a lovely show to watch, but there has been previous backlash of the show that I I do want to talk about as well. Um, I'm near Atypical, so I don't want to comment and I don't actually also have any valid opinions about the portrayal of autism in this show, but a lot of autistic writers have taken to the internet and shared their thoughts. So I want to read from a great piece by autistic writer Sarah Kerchak for Time magazine about representation. In its initial eight-episode season, Atypical was indistinguishable from its autistic TV cohort. It was yet another story about a cisgender, heterosexual, white autistic man seemingly made with a largely non-autistic audience in mind. In terms of inclusion, it very meekly nudged the status quo by hiring one autistic person for the supporting cast and one for the social media team. But that was the extent of autistic inclusion in the show's autistic story. No one with any meaningful input into how the autistic main character was portrayed or how the greater story involving him was told like him. They continue to talk about the changes that were made to the show after a lot of criticism was angled to it. So some included um, the the Journal of Best Practices author Dave Finch came on as a consultant before the second season. The show also worked with Exceptional Minds, an organization that provides training and employment services for autistic people in animation to hire animators and like special effects professionals. They also created a support group that season and with the assistance of the Neurodiverse Performance Program, The Miracle Project, they actually cast actual autistic actors to play Sam's peers. Um, so it was good that they did take the feedback on board, but I don't know how season four is faring as much as well uh, or if any other changes have been made. But, yeah, I really enjoyed this show anyway. Is it their last season ever or is it more Yeah, mm-hmm. last season ever. So i am got the last episode and I'm just, like, waiting because I don't like finishing things. Okay, well, this has been a bit of a different episode this week, but we hope that everyone is taking care of themselves and doing what they can to stay safe and just get through what they need to get through. Thank you again for listening, and we will catch you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.